Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for giving us your Son. Father, thank you that your Son, compelled by sovereign love, covenanted with you in eternity past to save his people. Father, thank you that before the foundation of the world was laid, you knew us and you called us to your Son. Father, thank you that your Son did not count his equality with you something to grasp, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made like us. And Father, that he humbled himself even more, becoming obedient to death, death on a cross, where you crushed your Son by your sovereign will so that He could rejoice in the day when He would see His offspring and prolong His days. And Father, we who have been chosen and called and drawn to Christ by Your grace Lord, we are transformed to be more like Him through Your Spirit's work within us. Father, that You, our great Father, Christ, Your Son, our great Savior, and Your Spirit, our great Comforter, that all three persons of the one God save and save us. Lord, your grace and mercy and love and salvation is magnificent. Your glory displayed in these things is beyond our comprehension. So, Father, as we look to your word today, may it be the lamp that we need in these darkened days. Father, may we pay close attention to it. And Father, may we look forward to that day when your Son will return for His people. Challenge us and encourage us today, Father. We pray this in Christ's name, pleading His blood. Amen. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're continuing on at our look at the power that God gives us for pilgrims in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And again, we build the theme of 2 Peter on verse 3, that God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to this pilgrim life and to live in godliness through the knowledge of Him. 
And we looked at last week as we began looking at verses 12 through 21, the pilgrim's lamp. You know, as Israel finished their wilderness wanderings, as a whole generation of rebellious people had been disciplined and judged by dying in the wilderness, unable to enter the promised land, Joshua arises as the leader of this new generation of Israelites. They're about to enter into a very difficult period in their history. They're about to go into the conquest. The nations that they are called to to conquer are bigger, more powerful. They have greater armies. In fact, all of the things that ended up causing Israel to wander in the wilderness, their, their fear of the Canaanites, that was still there. Nothing had changed from that perspective. And so Joshua is now charged with coming to a new generation and calling them to do what God had commanded them, but yet the obstacles hadn't changed. The difficulty was still there. And the nations that they were going to enter into to conquer as they entered into Canaan, they were wicked nations. There was darkness all around them, and Israel was the light. How were they to continue to be the light in this darkened world? Well, I'm sure many of you are familiar with Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. Joshua comes to Israel and charges them solemnly. It says, the task that the Lord has called you to is a high calling. It is a difficult calling. So what must you do as you enter into this darkened land? And Joshua challenges Israel and says in Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is what? with you wherever you go. Now, today, we are not standing on the brink of a conquest into um, Collier Township today, all right? We're not lining up on the banks of the Chartier's Creek ready to charge and take Nevillewood, all right? But we are very much like Israel, strangers in a foreign land. We are pilgrims. How are we to respond in the darkened world in which we live? Where are we to go to find light? It is to that subject again that we look in 2 Peter chapter 1 to see the pilgrim's lamp. Look with me in verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. These qualities referring to the list of virtues that Peter had discussed in verses 12. 5 through 7. 
though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. So we talked about last week how there is a necessity in the pilgrim's lamp, that the lamp is that which reminds us of God's transformative grace, and then that reminder is given to us in what the apostles have written, the contents of the New Testament. Peter realizes he's going to die. How is he going to continue to remind people once he's gone? And the answer is through what he's written. And so today we continue to be beneficiaries of what the apostles sought to do in writing the New Testament. We go on in verse 16. Peter now describes that message and he speaks of the substance of the pilgrim's lamp, which is a focus on Christ. It's a genuine record of Christ's power, a confirmation of Christ's return and a proclamation of Christ's glory. We see this in verses 16 and following. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. And then Peter goes in and regales us with the glorious story of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Verse 17. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And so Peter is bringing now to a focus what it is that the apostles are entrusting to the church. And it is what Christ has done, His power, His coming, and His glory. And then we have verse 19. And that's where we're going to pay our attention this morning as we see the significance of the pilgrim's lamp. Look at verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter is charging us much like Joshua charged Israel. You're in a dark place. And so it is good for us to pay attention to the lamp that God has given us, which is the prophetic word. I want us to consider specifically a few things about verse 19 this morning. The first thing we see that Peter points out about the lamp of God to which we must turn in this darkened world is that it is first a sure and sufficient word. In fact, Peter is going to point to four reasons why God's word is so important for us. It is sure and sufficient. It is authoritative. It is encouraging. And then next week, Lord willing, we will see why it's important because it is spirit dependent first thing we see is it is a sure and sufficient word. 
Here he speaks of it as the prophetic word, and the ESV translates it, more fully confirmed. This is perhaps one of the most surprising statements in Scripture. At least it is as I have read through 2 Peter. Peter regales us with the story of Christ's transfiguration. Can you imagine a more impactful moment in a person's life than to see Christ in all His glory? To have the veil of His flesh removed, to to see a cloud, as we looked at last week, a cloud that was shining, which seems antithetical to what clouds are. They're usually dark. Christ's cloud was shining with the glory of God. Christ Himself, His own skin, His own clothing was arrayed in glorious light. And the very word of God spoke from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. How many of you would have loved to have been there? I would have loved it. In fact, the reality is that even among Christ's own disciples, there were only three that got to see that moment. And what we see here, Peter saying, is remarkable. Because we all would long for those moments. I remember there were times when I was a young kid here. I'd be at the church. I I was a teenager cleaning or whatever. And and the Lord was working in my heart. And and I I used to pray, Lord, if you would just show yourself to me right now in this this building. Never happened. So we desire these ecstatic experiences sometimes. We think that that is going to be the thing that transforms us, that drives us to live for the Lord. But Peter tells us something remarkable here. He says, listen, I, because he includes himself in this, we have something that is more sure than even the experience of Christ's glory or the eyewitness testimony of Peter. Something that we can take to the bank that is better than any experience. The Word of God. It's a remarkable statement. It's surprising that Peter says this truth. What Peter is saying is that his experience of the transfigure of Christ, transfiguration of Christ is but a part of a greater picture of the greatness of Christ. And that greater picture of the greatness of Christ is portrayed to us in His Word. It is revealed both in the writings of the prophets and the teaching of of the apostles. And it is these writings that provide for us a more fully confirmed record, a hope, a reality for us to cling to in this darkened world. It is sure. He speaks of how it is fully confirmed, that there is no doubt about the truthfulness of God's Word. Now, truth is a four-letter word in our society today. Truth is now no longer about what is absolutely true, but rather it's about what? Your truth. Live your truth. And that's part of the darkness in which we live today. The world is going to try to snuff out the idea of light by saying everybody has their own truth. Everybody has their own way that they can follow. And Peter says, listen, don't listen to that. Follow the lamp that God has given you in His Word. It is that which is fully confirmed. It has held up to the scrutiny of millennia 
of attacks, and still to this day, it continues to speak. It is 100% accurate. It is clear in its presentation of who Jesus Christ is. And finally, it shows itself to be the Word of God and the transformation it brings in your life. There is a reality about the Word of God that, that the only way we can truly comprehend and understand its assuredness in our own lives is through the Spirit's work within us, illuminating the Word of God to us. The rest of the world, they look at this and they view it as foolishness. This is not the wisdom of the world. It is the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God to the world is foolishness. And boy, we see that today, don't we? The world looks at the, at the Word of God, and, and they, the term I keep hearing over and over again is Bronze Age thinking, as though we today have somehow how elevated ourselves in our thinking beyond the, 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 the pitiful, unknowing knowledge of those who lived thousands of years ago. Listen, this is the knowledge not just of people who lived thousands of years ago. This is the word of the eternal one. The one who has, has been and will be, who is the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. These truths span all ages. And so Peter calls us to recognize that it is more fully confirmed. Don't buy into the world's lies about the Word of God. Don't buy into the attacks that are brought upon its veracity, upon the idea that it's filled with myths. We talked about that last week. Peter does not come to his readers and give them myths. That's what he says in verse 18. We didn't follow, or 16, I'm sorry, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and glory of, or the power and coming of Christ. And so we should not buy into the world's explanation that this is just a bunch of fairy tales. It is not. It is the eternal, unchanging Word of God. It is sure, and then we see, secondly, it is sufficient. And again, this comes back to that desire for us to seek some sort of ecstatic experience beyond what God has revealed of Himself in His Word. The reality is we do not need further revelation from so-called prophets. In fact, if you look in chapter 2, verse 1, Peter is going to warn us, and we're going to look at this in a couple weeks, that there are going to be false prophets who rise not outside the church. Where do they come from? inside the church, among you. So we have to recognize and realize that we don't need something else. We just need the Word of God. It is enough. So we shouldn't seek experiences. You know, we, we, a number of men from the church, had the opportunity this week to go to the Basics Conference in Cleveland. This is held at Parkside Church. Some of you know who Alistair Begg is or Truth for Life, and it's uh, hosted by his church, and he's the one who puts this Basics Conference together. What an experience. I think if you were to ask any of the men who went, 
they would regale you with what it's like to hear. I, I, I kept getting conflicting accounts of how many people were there. Anywhere between 1,200 to 2,500 men singing hymns to God. I mean, it was amazing. And then the speakers are of the finest quality. They, they brought the Word of God and exposited it clearly, and the Spirit worked in such a way. I explain it like it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. You ever try to do that? It just blows your, blows your face off. It's an amazing experience. But the reality of what Peter is pointing us to is that that type of experience, while God uses it in many great ways, is not the primary way in which He changes His people. It is through our individual consumption and paying attention to the Word of God that is enough that we are changed. We don't need these majestic experiences, although God may bring them into our lives. Listen, you don't need to have some sort of feeling, some sort of, some sort of ecstatic moment. You don't need to speak in tongues. You don't need to be slain by the Spirit. You just need to see Christ in the Word. That is what Peter says when we have the prophetic Word more fully confirmed. And so let me ask you, do you view the Word of God as a sure and sufficient Word? Is it the rock upon which your life is founded? And it's not that the Scriptures themselves are the rock, but it is that the Scriptures speak of the true rock, Jesus Christ. Listen, there is nowhere else that you can go to know Christ than His Word. Nowhere else that you can go. And so our responsibility is to see the Word of God and to recognize it as that sure and sufficient Word. Is it sufficient for you? Or do you feel like you need more than the Word of God? There's a story that we all know very well of the rich man and Lazarus. And this is a a parable that Jesus gives, which also is likely a true story that he is giving of a man who, one man lived his life in dependence upon God, another man lived his life in dependence on his riches. And it tells us that they both died. And the man who lived in dependence on his riches, he lifted up his eyes, and where was he? In hell, in torment. And he looked up and he saw, nestled at the chest of Abraham, the father of the Israelites' faith, he saw Lazarus, the poor man, the man who depended not upon himself but upon Christ. And so he prays and asks that Abraham, his father, would send Lazarus to, to dip his, his finger in a cup and to just drop a bit of water onto his tongue. And Abraham says, no, you can't do that. And so he then says, I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers 
so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, listen, they have Moses, they have the prophets. Let them hear them. And the rich man says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. I mean, here's the the argument that this rich man is making. Send a dead man to proclaim the truth to them, and if they see Lazarus alive again, they'll trust, and they'll be spared from what I'm facing. And then notice what? Abraham says to him. I mean, wouldn't that be a what? Wouldn't you be shocked if someone that you knew was dead came into our midst here today? That'd be a rather shocking moment. But notice what Abraham says. He said to them, "If they do not hear Moses, and they do not hear the prophets." Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. It's a remarkable statement. And it's also a call for us to recognize God's word is enough, it is sure and sufficient. Is it sure and sufficient in your life? Not only is it a sure and sufficient word, but secondly, we see it is an authoritative word. Notice what Peter says in the next phrase in verse 19. To which, so this prophetic word that is sure and sufficient, more fully confirmed, this is the thing that which, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. You will do well to pay attention Now, Peter may be understating things here a little bit for the point of emphasis, particularly when he described the power of Christ displayed in his transfiguration, the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son, the glory of Christ being displayed. I mean, the the point of that power that Peter points to is that Christ has all power and he's coming again. In fact, Peter is shooting a shot across the bow of these false prophets, warning them, this Christ who you say I'm speaking of in myths and fables, he's coming again. And when he comes, he will come with full vengeance on those who reject him. That's the message of the power of Christ that Peter's pointing to. And then he tells us that the prophetic word is more fully confirmed than that vision and his own eyewitness testimony. So then he makes the statement, this Christ who's coming back, this word that shows who he is, don't you think it's a good idea to pay attention to what he's saying? That's the point of what Peter is saying here. The terrifying but hopeful story of Christ's transfiguration lies behind the call here to say, pay attention to the word. Look to it. Be guided by it. The term that he uses here, pay attention, it has the idea of being alert. It refers to a continuous state of readiness to learn of any future danger, need, or error, and then to respond appropriately. I love the Greek language because 
There's so much that they, they pack into one word. The idea here is of, of being on guard, and particularly having our guard defined by what God's Word says. Pay attention to the prophetic Word. To do it continually. He doesn't say it would be do, it, you would do well to have paid attention or to have done this once, but rather it is a continual work. The Word of God must be central in your life. Central. And the whole point of what Peter is saying here is that we must submit ourselves to what God's Word says. The very voice of God that Peter heard from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then Luke tells us, he says, listen to him. Guess where that same voice speaks today in the word of God? Listen to him. Pay attention to what God says. When God speaks, we must listen. This isn't a trivial thing. This isn't a, a small thing that we can say, well, the, the, the really committed Christians, they're the ones who really take the word of God and live by it every day. Listen, no matter how committed you may think you are or how uncommitted you may think you are, we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every single person in this room will stand before Jesus Christ. And if you are in Him, He will evaluate your life based upon His Word. And you, if you have rejected Him, He will evaluate you based upon your rejection. And you will, either, you will be either cast into the eternal lake of fire or you will be consumed by the refining fire of His judgment. But everyone will stand before Him. I mean, imagine what it would be like. I know some of you have, have been in the military. You know, imagine what it would be like if your commanding officer came to you and said, this is what you need to do, and you say, ah, yeah, forget it, I'm not going to do that. I think, don't they like shoot people for stuff like that? And yet we think that we can treat the God of the universe lesser than we would treat human authorities? This is why Peter says, listen, this is an authoritative word. The word of God has the right to tell you what to do. Because it's God's word. And does he not have the right to tell you what to do? So it is an authoritative word. Does God's word have your full attention are you alert like a sentinel looking to it and seeking to be guided and directed by its truths? Does it carry sway with you? I mean, th this, is the re this is how we evaluate whether or not this principle is in action in our lives is when we read God's Word, do we want to change or do we say, oh, that was nice and then move on with our day? If we just say, oh, that was nice and we go about our day, then it is not something that we are truly paying attention to. Does the Word of God determine your steps? 
and your ways? Or do you say, you know what, I'm going to go my way. The reason this challenge is necessary for us is because Jesus tells us all we like sheep have gone what? Astray. We've turned every one of us to whose way? Our own way. Is God's word, is this lamp an authoritative word in your life? And then finally we see that it is an encouraging word. Notice he says that, first of all, it is a lamp to which we should pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. I don't know about you, but this world can be tiring. It can be exhausting. It can be discouraging. As people who are called to Christ's excellency, His glory, to be like Him in holiness... This world vexes our souls. We're like Job. Righteous Job who was in a place and his whole soul was vexed by the the sinfulness of the society around him. He was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Guess what? It's not much different today. And lest we think that this is something that just applies to the world outside us, If you notice throughout the history of Israel, God's own people become just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Over and over again, God warns Israel that if they continue on the path that they're continuing in, that God would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the same thing happens today in the church today. We come and we sit in our chairs and we worship the Lord and then we go out and we live lives that are in complete contradiction to the character and nature of our holy God. And so the reality is that the darkness is not just outside, but it's creeping in. In fact, that's one of the things Peter's going to pick up in chapter 2, that the darkness is creeping in. So how do we stop it? Well, we realize that we're not called To walk in the darkness without the light. God gives us the light in His Word. The Word of God should be a refreshing hope in this darkened world. The Word of God should be refreshing to you when it convicts you of your own sin because you know what that means? You can now push out by God's grace some of the darkness that's crept into your own life. That is the wonder of what God's Word does when it convicts you. It's not given there to make you feel bad. It's given there to make you feel bad so that in Christ you might do good and then enjoy the blessings of God's grace. We know Psalm 119 tells us that God's Word is a lamp to what? Our feet and a light to our path. Maybe you feel like you're floundering in the world in which we live. The darkness of this world is creeping in and and you feel like you need direction, you need guidance. I mean, doesn't that seem like what the world is saying over again, over and over again? Read the newspapers. Turn on the, the talking head pundits. Read your online news articles. Everyone sees all the problems in the world and they don't have any answer for it except to look within. And how's that been working for thousands of years? 
But praise God, His Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And it provides refreshment from our darkened world. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So there's great encouragement. When we turn to the Word of God, we are able to see hope. We pay attention because the Scripture illumines the darkness, ultimately, as Peter is going to point us to, with who Christ is. And in particular, notice what he says. We look and pay attention to the lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. What is this day that Peter is referring to? It is the day of the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is a, is a constant theme that we seem, see coming up, and it was a fearful thing. It spoke of judgment. It spoke of, of wrath. It spoke of discipline. It spoke of the demonstration of God's power in Christ that would be evident for the whole world to see. No one could deny Him. You realize that on that day, there will be no atheists. And again, that day of the Lord is a day of darkness for those who reject Christ. Revelation tells us that in that day, people will call out to the rocks and to the hills, and they will say, fall on us that we may be spared from the terrible day of the Lord. And there is no relief from those who reject Christ. But for those who know Him, those who have believed in Him, those who are in Him by faith, the day of the Lord is the day when everything gets set right. When King Jesus comes and rules in this world. On that day, Christ will no longer be revealed through His Word, but we will see Him face to face. We'll no longer need to look through the dim glass of Scripture, but we will be able to see Him face to face. Does this not bring you comfort? Does this not encourage your soul? That one day, Jesus will come again. May it be today. So what we recognize then by that hope is that as we walk as pilgrims in this darkened world, when it seems like we're not being effective, when it seems like we, we are standing for righteousness and truth stronger and stronger every day, and yet the world continues to slide deeper and deeper into darkness, there is going to be a day when the light of Christ comes physically on this earth and the darkness will be expelled. So we continue. As Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, after he's talked about the resurrection of Christ and all the implications of that, that the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So what do we do? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not what? In vain. It's not empty. Because he's coming again. And then there is this last statement he says. Where he speaks of the morning star rising in our hearts. Now, I could go on for another 45 minutes about that that passage. Don't worry. I probably won't do that now. There is a already not yet tension in what Peter is saying here. It does seem on first read to be a little unclear as to what Peter is saying because he speaks about the day of the Lord coming and then he talks about not a visible outward expression but particularly an inward focus. And some have have wondered, well, what what is he saying here? And I think ultimately what Peter is pointing to is not just the the wonder of the visible return of Christ, but also the encouragement that that visible return will bring to our hearts. I mean, imagine what it's going to be like on that day. If, If the Lord were to come today, would your hearts not burn within you? And so this final fulfillment comes when Christ, who is the bright morning star, who is the root and descendant of David, when He comes, all the hearts of His people will rejoice. I like to ride thrill rides. You know, I like, I was there, it was like on the, the second train of the new roller coaster at Kennywood when it opened up. I enjoy a good thrill as much as, as anybody, but nothing will compare to the thrill when Jesus comes back. Our hearts will leap out of our chests. We'll be so excited. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. Numbers 24, 17, I see him now, but not now. Then behold, I, I, uh, I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. And when this morning star rises, he will rise eternally. Because there will no longer be anything that is accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. And we'll need no light or no light of lamp. We won't even need the sun. Because the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Boy, these words bring encouragement to our hearts. Which is why there is this already not yet tension that I think Peter is getting at here. Because while we await that day when the visible glory of Christ is revealed, we also today can glimpse it through His Word. 
the current fulfillment of the day, the morning star rising in our hearts comes when we see the glory of Christ in His Word. Do you see why now this is so important that Peter tells us that we pay attention to this lamp? Because we get to look into the future and see the glory of Christ prevailed in all things in that scene. And now it rises in our hearts today. Notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown where? In our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, Paul goes on to speak of, not, not, not only to speak of who we are, but also to name a contemporary Christian band, Jars of Clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Have you ever thought about that? Treasure in jars of clay. When my grandfather passed away, I was able to get his coin collection. And he had a, a bunch of, of things in that coin collection. But one of the things that, that he had was a, a golden proof, $20 proof or $50, whatever it is, the Golden Eagle gold coin or whatever. And, and I remember while he was still alive, I asked, he showed it to me. I asked him, I was like, why'd you get it? I just want to know what it looked like. Okay. You know, I have that today. And I'll tell you what, I'm not putting it in the jars of clay we have in our cupboard that are breaking all the time. I, value, I put it in a safe. I keep, it, I keep it hidden. I keep it safe. And it's remarkable that God comes to us who are just feeble, fragile humans, jars of clay, and yet in Christ, He places within us the eternal glory that He Himself possesses. This is a treasure that we have, so that it displays that it's not about us. The treasure is not about us. The treasure is that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. You know why you're able to walk in the darkness with hope? Because God. God's strength is the thing that moves us. And so when Peter says that the morning star rises in your hearts, we get to experience that little bit by little bit as we look in God's Word. Do you experience that when you read the Scriptures? Does the, the morning star grow in your hearts? We have to remember that when Christ comes, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And this is a reminder to us as we can experience it daily in His Word. It's a reminder to us in that day that we will go out leaping like calves from the stall. We'll tread down the wicked. We will 
they will be ashes under our feet on the day when the Lord, when I act, says the Lord. And then notice what the response here is. He, this is the end of the Old Testament. Malachi is writing this and there's going to be 400 years where nothing happens until John the Baptist bursts on the scene. The one whom we looked at last week, Jesus calls a burning and shining lamp. So what are we to do in the darkness? Remember the law of Moses, Moses, the statues and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. What are we to do when we enter times of darkness? Run to the word of God. It is encouraging. That is where we have the lamp of God that's given to us to have power and to walk as pilgrims in this darkened world. In Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3, yeah, you thought I was done. Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. Peter is calling us and to recognize that the lamp of God is the thing that we must pay attention to. What does that then do for us? Notice what Isaiah says. Arise and what? Shine. Why? Your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people, but the Lord will arise upon you and His glory will be seen upon you. And then notice what he says, Nations shall come to your light and bring and kings to the brightness of your rising. Here's the thing that we have to recognize about the light that we have, the light that shines upon us, the light that encourages us, Do we take that light and hide it under a bushel? No. Let your light shine so that people can see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The Word of God is given to show us the light of Christ, but it's also given so that we would reflect that same glory. Listen, we are all sent out into a world of darkness. Are you showing the light of Christ to those in the darkness? These wonderful hopes are true for us, but we must reflect the right so that people will come to the brightness of our rising. So the question, that your questions that you're left with this morning is, have you bowed the knee to Christ? The Word of God portrays the great great morning star of Christ. Has it risen in your heart? Christ calls us to come to Him and to believe in Him. Have you done that? And Christian, if you've done that, are you living in submission to the King of Kings? Is the light affecting your everyday life? Does it reflect the glory of God through your attention to His Word and through your obedience? And maybe you're here today and you feel like the darkness is 
surrounding you. Maybe you're going through a period of life that you don't seem to see anything but darkness around you. Maybe there's health issues. Maybe there's trials and difficulties. Maybe family issues. Relational issues. Financial issues. And you come here today and you feel like you're trapped in a dark cave. Look to Christ. There is a lamp shining in His Word for you. Be encouraged with who He is. And may the great and bright morning star, which will one day rise physically on this earth, rise in your heart to show you that the excellency of the power for this darkened world is not of you, but of Him. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank You for the glorious light that Christ is. The lamp of His Word that is given to us to light our path. Father, may we live looking and paying attention to this lamp that is shining in a dark place that looks forward to that day where you will come and our hearts will rejoice at your coming. Father, as we see Christ today and we savor the treasure that he is within these jars of clay, may we be encouraged to spread the light of Christ in the darkened world around us. We pray all this in the name of Christ our Lord.